0: It's said that your real life begins where your comfort zone ends. Well, it's about to get real as we have radically authentic conversations to help you thrive in your personal and professional life while navigating the twists and turns of being human. Buckle up, because this might get uncomfortable. Starts right now with Whitney Lordson. I was saying to my guest, Daniel, right before we started recording that the conversation we had in the past nine minutes leading up to this moment is probably the most unique out of any guest I've had because I felt like an instant connection and ease. And as you said, Daniel, a vibe that I don't know if I've ever experienced with a guest I hadn't met before. You and I are essentially strangers and. I started to feel curious about why that is. And I asked Daniel just to jump right into it. Knowing that you have Asperger's, I naturally just started to wonder, does that account for it? Is it that you, the way your brain works when it comes to communication, it's common for people on the spectrum to not want any small talk. So I'm curious, do you think that's why it's so easy to just jump right in and skip over all of the awkwardness and the like, hey, how are you type of
1: conversation? (laughs) Well, I mean, in your opinion, if we say small talk, what do you think the purpose of small talk is, in your opinion?
0: I mean, even the phrase small talk makes me uncomfortable, to be honest. (laughs) I detest it deeply. Like that to me was like, when I started researching (laughs) autism, I'm like, whoa, wait a second. Like this is starting to make sense because I can't stand it. And so I don't even understand the purpose, to be honest, Daniel. Like I would do anything to avoid that surface level chat. If I had to pick a purpose, I would say it's to make people feel more comfortable, or to, so that people don't have to get uncomfortable. What do you think?
1: I personally feel that the purpose of small talk for a lot of people is filling the gap. I just think they just there's other things to do. It's like why can't you just get to the point? And I think there's these social niceties that are constructed to, and they they have a purpose in their construction, right? It's like oh, we must say oh, how are you? You don't really care how the person's doing. You don't care what's going on with their kids. You want to know the thing. We, we follow these social constructs, right? In order to, oh, how, what's going on with the kids? Have you sent my check yet? Like you want to know if they've sent the check. Now we could just get into it. And most people in my life, they know I'm not going to be disingenuous. If I ask about your kids, I care about your kids. If I don't care about the kids, I'm going to send a text like, have you sent the check yet? <laughs> but ultimately I think There's just a discomfort with just having things be what they are. It's like you just want to ask the question, just ask the question. But we've got all these social constructs like, oh, no, I can't just ask the question. I must go and ask about the grandchildren or whatever. So, yeah, that's my thing on it anyway.
0: It's almost like a warm up. And I'm curious about, I mean, and this is me too. Like if I don't feel like I have to meet any sort of social construct, I will ask people questions that often make them uncomfortable. But that's like my natural tendency. I don't want to warm up to it. I don't want to have any like BS. I just want to get answers and get to know them. And some people are very uncomfortable and they'll even call me out and they're like, how dare you ask me something like that? And I'm thinking, why is it that we're not allowed to ask those kind of questions? I
1: think also there's an inability to hold a boundary or to know what you're uncomfortable with or just to say thanks for asking that question. I don't really feel comfortable answering it. Can we move on to the next one now? Right. I'm not going to be like, oh my god, you asked me how many sexual partners I had in my life live on a podcast, right? All right. If you don't want to answer the question, don't have to answer the question. If if it's irrelevant, it's a bit irrelevant. Maybe it could be a cheeky. Who knows where this is going to go, right? But I think there's a lot of discomfort and there's a lot of um, there's a lot of fluff and frink frills and let's just get to the thing two humans having a conversation. We don't really know where it's going to go, but we definitely know that something cool is going to come out of it. And that's uh, that's that.
0: I'm so glad that you said that about boundaries because that's exactly how I feel too. The other day I was hanging out with some people that I grew up with and asking some questions just as I normally, one of my friends was like, I don't really think that you should be asking people that. And I thought, how about instead you just say that that's your boundary, but it's mm-hmm. not about putting a judgment on the question. It's mm-hmm. absolutely, I will respect the boundary if you said it, but to judge the question itself doesn't really make sense to me. And that goes back, Daniel, when you and I were talking before the recording, you were sharing about some things you learned about, is it social constructs, Is social dynamics. Will you tell me more about that?
1: I'm going to give you a bit of backdrop. That's going to probably yeah. add a bit more context. So when I was diagnosed at 27, one of the things I remembered is something that my guitarist had showed me, I don't know, six or seven years before, something stupid like that. He was like a really nerdy geek that just learned how to talk to girls and was like picking up hot girls because he learned about this thing called being a pickup artist. And I'd looked at the stuff before, but like, I didn't really, I didn't really vibe with me. And then it hit me. Oh my goodness. There's literally a step-by-step process of how to open up a conversation with a human and to take it either to intimacy or here's the thing, in the pickup artist world, they tell you that the reason why a lot of guys get friend-zoned is because they build too much comfort at a particular stage. They don't build enough sexual tension. So all I did was I said, well, if I build too much comfort and don't engage a sexual tension, I can literally create a series of friend zone situations. And so I ended up making a lot of friends with girls because I understood how to comfortably open up a conversation, how to develop connection and how to build non-sexually charged intimacy at a deep level. And so over time, and then that took me into understanding a bit where all of that kind of came from and then started learning about social dynamics, I worked by a guy called Dr. Eric Byrne. He wrote a very good book called Games People Play because most people are running out these social construct programs and they're doing it unconsciously. And So you can almost predict certain ways that people are going to go in certain situations because they're going to be following, generally speaking, one of several maps. And when you understand those maps, then for me, the anxiety that was wrecking my life around social constructs and social interaction completely disappeared because all of a sudden I'm no longer going blind. It's like, oh, this kind of social situation, this person's probably going to go this kind of way. That person's probably going to go that kind of way. And then I can use my ability to talk to, initially it was just women, I can talk to women and I can have an anchor in the situation. If I'm in a group of 50 people, I can do this and do that. And then over time, what actually happened was as I got deeper and deeper into my spiritual practice, then I developed the ability to just build heart-based connections, but the anxiety was gone because I understood the constructs. And so that could sort of engage my brain and then it could just build these heart-based energy connections with people and play in that space.
0: And I bet that's been really helpful for you as a podcaster, because with your show, Mm -hmm. do you feel like having, you and I talked also before, like, neither one of us want to have super planned out, Mm -hmm. formulaic conversations, but we're describing as more of not a formula, but a way to, gosh, I don't even know how to fully, yeah, yeah, structure versus formula. Yeah. Yeah. So it's not formulaic, but it's a structure that can lead you towards the connection that you're looking to have. Do you find that that's helped you in professional settings like a podcast?
1: hundred percent. And you still get some people. I mean, I had CEO of quite a big corporation he would come into my podcast and a team were like, we'd like to have like, the questions and all of the things. I'm like, there's no questions. We're having an organic conversation. We're going to speak about her. We're going to speak about her work. We're going to speak about her book. That's just what's going to happen. And it's going to be amazing. And some people get anxiety around that. Some people try to send me when I'm a guest, this is what I'm going to ask you. And it's like, don't tell me. Let's just be present and have the conversation, it would be good.
0: And do you feel like what I was wondering towards the beginning of this, that that is the difference between neurodivergence and neurotypical people? Or do you feel like that's just a difference in terms of unique communication styles or knowledge about communication? Why do you think it is that some people operate that way versus the way that you and I prefer?
1: I think it's the need for control for many people. It's like I need to control the situation. I need to control the dynamics of it. I need to control what's happening. I need to have all of the information in order to be okay. And I think that shows up in both neurodivergent and neurotypical people. For me, I probably before all of this would have needed to have that information in order to try and gather some form of safety. But now I understand about myself, I don't want that. I actually want to be in a free flow. We're on a podcast. That's the structure. I don't need to know anything more than that. You're a human. I'm a human. We both speak the same language. If you ask me a question I can't answer, I say I can't answer. If you ask me a question I don't want to answer, I say I don't want to answer that question. For the most part, I do my best to be an open book and just to be in flow and have literally the intention of being a service to the people who are going to listen to that podcast episode. Right.
0: I love the way that you think about these things. And I'm curious to go back to when you got diagnosed. You said it was at 27. Mm-hmm. What was the journey like to get there? What was life before diagnosis? What <laughs> led you to get evaluated? <laughs>
1: It was a complete of providence, divine providence I got diagnosed. I've been suffering from severe general anxiety, severe social anxiety, de- really bad bouts of insomnia my entire life. And I was actually in the throes of one, went to see the doctor because all of my normal over-the-counter remedies weren't working. It had been a couple of weeks and I hadn't had a proper night's sleep. So the doctor says, okay, I'm going to give you Zopiclone, which in the UK is one of the strongest sleeping medications that they can prescribe. He said, I'm going to give you three tablets because that's as many as I can give you. You can't take any more than two. One will be fine. If not, take another half and you'll be fine. I took two and was still wide awake. Go back to the doctor. He says, well, then you need to talk to someone then because there's clearly something else going on. He referred me to a therapist. It just so happened that that therapist was a cognitive behavioral therapist that specialized in working with adults with autism. So she recognized that something was up. And it's so funny because since then I've dated people who work with neurodivergent people. I've had friends who've had family members and all sorts of stuff. And It's like now there's so many clues that we're there the whole time that if you know, then you know. And it just so happened that Dr. Helen McEwen, who I will love forever, she saw and was like, oh, there's some clues here. Let's just dive a bit deeper. So she didn't tell me what she was looking for. She was just like giving me different tests and asking me different questions and so on and so forth. And after about a month, had me take an assessment. And yeah, I scored really, 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 really high.
0: What were some of the clues? What were some of the major standout things looking back that make it seem so clear?
1: I mean, for me looking, so for example, even in terms of how I speak, so I can speak to someone and I can tell if they might be on the spectrum just by how they communicate, the way the sentences are structured, the way that they move in and out of breaks in conversation, the way that cuts in and out of conversation is structured, even silly little things like stimming, like because our nervous systems are quite highly strong most of the time, you'll find that maybe you tap your leg Or maybe you tap or something because the nervous system is trying to regulate. So there's little things like that. And then even behavioral patterns in terms of how certain OCD traits will cross over into other parts of life as well. It's like a cross-spectrum to be able to see. And just even how somebody thinks. Sometimes you can look at how somebody thinks and approaches different discussions and approaches uh, different problems. And you can see they may have some traits going on.
0: I'm especially curious about the thinking side of it. because. I've taken some assessments so far. I want to get a bigger evaluation through a professional, but there are a lot of qualities, some of which you just listed that I've experienced. But it's the thinking that feels like the biggest clue for me that something's different, whether it's autism or some other form of neurodivergence. I don't know. But people of my whole life just pointed out how I think differently. So I'm kind of curious for you, like what are some different ways of thinking that you identify in neurodivergent people and yourself?
1: I mean, for me personally, like I need things to be structured. Like I need things to be structured. Okay. If there's no structure, I'm lost. But if something is structured, I become like a wizard, right? So if you give me anything systemized, I can learn it. If there's no system or there's no structure in how something is applied, I can't do it at all. Like I'm lost. So I'll give you an example. So my son's mum likes to do everything at the last minute probably one of the reasons why we're not together anymore. Like she likes last minute stuff. Like, oh, you know, everything's going to be okay. Like that's not good for my nervous system. Like I can't, I can't do that. Like I've got like one of my best friends, Jade, she looks at my schedule, which is like, it gives her anxiety. But for me having those, like those blocks where I have my free form within those blocks, but I've got those blocks. I'm already mapping out my 2023 because that systemization gives me like, because we work in ones and zeros, almost like a a mental thing. And there's always a reason why something is being done. We don't generally, oh, I'm just going to do this thing because I want to do this thing. There's a reason why we're doing the thing. Things should have reasons to be done. So generally speaking, you can see that there's more of an intentionality that's demanded of how we approach things. And that intentionality doesn't necessarily have to be life-changing intentionality, but generally there's intentionality.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm sitting over here, nodding my head at everything you just said, because it's interesting from a different standpoint. So it's one, acknowledging like the things that helped me thrive and looking back at the situations in which I haven't thrived. And it's often because of disorganized systems. And now I look through the lens of like, it seems like most things are very disorganized and that will give me some anxiety. So it's like, I start to try to take create systems out of like everything I do and the blocking and all of that that you're describing. And I really want to circle back to what you said about when other people see those systems, it seems to give them anxiety. It's almost like they have the opposite view. Like how do you manage that? Because when somebody else says, oh, that's too much for me, how do you find harmony with somebody who thinks completely differently than you?
1: I don't try and force harmonies. If it's force, it's not really harmony, is it? And so if the harmony doesn't exist, it doesn't exist. Oh well. See you next lifetime. Maybe next time we reincarnate, we'll be best friends. But at this one, like I will honor you up to the point where I'm dishonouring myself and I'd invite you to do the same. And if you can't honor me without dishonoring yourself, then what are we doing here? Right? Oh well. And some people are like, That's cold, Daniel. You're a cold hearted man. It's like no, I'm saving everybody the heartbreak of us down the road. It's like when people want to be your best friend immediately without knowing anything about you, at some point, you're going to have to make the decision as to whether you really like me or not. And then either you're going to continue being a fake best friend, or you're going to not be my friend anymore. So why don't we just take our time and get to know each other before you like come to my mom's house for dinner or whatever? It's like, these are just basic principles, I think. I don't know why the world doesn't operate that way.
0: <laughs> I love that point about honoring yourself though, and not forcing things because I've gone through my life up until recently, and this is part of where the neurodivergent research has been really interesting for me is like, it seems like suddenly I'm looking through a lens that I've never looked through before, or like, maybe not a lens, but realizing that you don't have to force things into a way that doesn't fit you was the big aha, right?
1: Yeah. I mean, because again, I think a lot of people, I mean, I've gone through it. I've been doing personal development work since I was about 16. I was reading Think and Grow Rich and Psycho-Cybernetics at 16, 17 year old. Right. And so there's a lot of context I have around how people sometimes approach stuff based on those years of reading and learning. But so, so many people are like, well, I have to do it this way. And I need to have these friends and I need to have these social constructs and I need to have this and I need to have that. You don't need to have that. And if you could let go of these, I need to have narratives and stories, then maybe you'd be a bit more free to just explore what what life might look like without all of these boxing ins that people are giving themselves.
0: Absolutely. And isn't it kind of interesting because I've also been really interested in personal development for a large part of my life, but yet learning about it almost made me feel more trapped because a lot of personal development feels pretty rigid. Do you see it that way too? Like kind of this idea of you have to do it this way to get that result.
1: And that's kind of informed the way that I do my work when I'm sharing what I do around abundance and consciously creating your own reality. One of the key components of the work I teach is something called money DNA. And money DNA actually completely rejects this idea that there is a singular way to do things. And instead, what we do is we empower people to understand their unique way to create, their unique way to find flow. And understanding how these components about how they operate as a human come together to lead to the result of success or whatever outcome that they're seeking to achieve. So I reject that. I don't believe in the cookie cutter approach. I think it's poppycock. And if anyone just checks the numbers on it, you'll see that it is poppycock. Two people aren't going to create the same way. They're not going to have success the same way. They're not going to make their business work the same way. It's just nonsense.
0: I'm going to pause here for a brief moment to thank my sponsor. And this feels like a good time to mention them which is Zencaster, because this conversation with this guest was made possible by their tools, their technology, and they've made it so easy for me. One of my favorite features of Zencaster is that I can take footnotes. So while a guest like this is talking, I'm taking notes behind the scenes and marking down the time codes. Now, if you're not a podcaster maybe you don't even want to be. <laughs> this still applies to you because when you go to my show notes for an episode like this, you'll see quotes. When you go to social media, you can find clips from episodes. And that's all because I'm taking notes as the guest is talking. And it's actually kind of hard to do, except the technology makes it easier. It's only hard because in my mind, I'm, I'm trying to remember things that they say, but it's made easier through Zencaster because of that footnotes section. So that's why I'm so grateful for them. I'm grateful for their financial contribution to the show. And I'm grateful that they're going to help you out too. If you want to use their amazing tool, you can go to Zencaster.com pricing and use the code WellevatorZen. That's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R-Z-E-N. Don't worry, this link and the code are in the show notes and in the description of this episode right there in your podcast player. When you go to that link and use that code, you'll get 30% off your first three months of Zencaster Professional so you can use the same tools that I do. I want you to have the same easy experiences I do for all of my podcasting and content needs, and I really believe that it's time to share your story just like this amazing conversation. So speaking of which, let's get back to it. So tell me more about how you guide people towards figuring out what's going to work for them.
1: Mm-hmm. So I mean, money, dear, and it, people say, "Money, dear, I don't care about money. I'm here to talk about my soul. Uh, I just wanted to understand something. Once you understand how one thing is created, you can create anything. Because at the end of the day, there's not like a different playbook for creating different things, right? Everything, everything is created the same way. We just happen to have this distorted lens through which we're seeing these different things created and then get the illusion that, oh, these different things are created in different ways. So how we find flow around money is exactly how we find flow as an individual. Just money gives us a measurable way to track that. So just call it creation DNA or abundance DNA or whatever, but we've got five pillars. One is the vehicle, how you as an individual find flow vehicle wise, like what's going to work for you. Are you a person who wants one friend? Are you a person who wants multiple friends? Are you a person that thrives in a monogamous relationship or are you a person who thrives in more non-traditional relationship types? Who knows? Are you a person that likes aerobic exercise? Are you a person who likes anaerobic exercise? I don't know. It's all going to be different for each and every person. Quick, funny story on that. I was working with an online coach for my fitness and I stumbled into the ketogenic diet a little while before and I started trying it. I was feeling really good on this keto diet. I started working with this. He's like, no, keto's rubbish. You need carbs. You're going to die. Had me eat carbs. I put on 20 pounds. It took me a year and a half to get off. Went and got my DNA checked and it turned out I am actually perfectly optimized for the ketogenic diet. And my body doesn't like processing sugars and carbs. It actually prefers to process fats. Who knew? I did after doing the test. So vehicle was that. Number two is the role. Each of us have got skills and particular attributes that we can apply to doing different tasks. When we understand what those skills are, we can adapt our role. Some of us are leaders, some of us are followers, some of us are ideas people, some of us are operational people. When we have that, we can have flow. Each of us have a different languaging that our unconscious mind is going to hear in order to create an internal coherence. Some people thrive on verbal. Their love language is going to be words of affirmation. Some people need to see things in order for their unconscious mind to accept it. We use love languages to map this particular piece, so I'm acts of service, I need to see movement through time and space. Then we've got decisions. We all process information in our energy field differently. Some people are running around making gut decisions thinking that's the way to do it when actually your body and your soul literally communicate at a slower pace. So making gut decisions, you're probably going to have an egoic conclusion. And then the fifth pillar is action and transformation. Every single one of us have a different way to elicit action from ourselves. Some people need to be held accountable. Some people, if they're held accountable, it's going to be torment. Some people need to be in community. Some people work better by themselves. When you understand that, again, you can find your own unique flow. (sighs) There we go.
0: Whoa, that's so cool. I mean, (laughs) first of all, the keto comment is really interesting because I have done keto off and on for the past four or five years. And the amount of people that were critical of that and making all these judgments around it, but I felt so much better doing that. I don't actually in this current point of my life, like feel that I can do it in quite the rigid way that I used to maybe because of food texture and flavor for me. Like I have a lot of sensory particularities. And so like sometimes the keto food doesn't feel good for me to consume.
1: <laughs> but
0: I don't, care. I don't know if you're laughing because
1: you can relate to that. But I got like, you. I got you.
0: Oh man, some of the textures and flavors of some of the alternatives, like when you go on to more processed keto foods, right? But anyways. The amount of criticism that people gave me for experimenting with keto was really frustrating. And then I kind of developed some like insecurities around it. But like you, I kind of suspect that my body thrives on it because I actually don't really like sugary foods except for occasionally. And the sugary foods I like, I can also enjoy stevia or monk fruit or some of the other non-carby sugary foods, but I'm not drawn to fruits. For example, I would so much rather eat avocado and coconut and, and like higher fat nuts and stuff like that excites me, but fruit, I'm like, nah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and so I'm like, is this a clue too? So I'm kind of curious, what test did you do that helps you identify that about your body?
1: I think it's ID life where they do your DNA and they do your DNA test and they tell you like what you've got any propensities for based on your genetics the kind of exercise that would be good for you and also just like different foods are good for your body not so good for your body it's things that you might have a natural allergic reaction to yeah it all came up in there it's like 120 bucks 130 bucks for the test it wasn't like a lot results come back in about 10 days
0: interesting and that ties into what you were saying or touched upon i want to get some more clarity on this is how sometimes, or maybe for certain people, following your gut is not the right answer. Did I understand that right? Yeah. Tell me more about that.
1: So the model that we use for that is human design. And in human design, there are different ways that you process. You've got different authorities in human design, and we process data through the body in different ways. So this is leaving the mind out of it and just looking at how the body processes data. So you've got sacral types like me, where the truth shows up in our body instantly in the moment. And then you've got solar plexus types that need time for their energy field to settle into the truth of a question. And solar plexus should sleep on it, walk away, come back to it. Me, if I walk away, my brain's going to kick in. Whereas a solar plexus-based person, if they answer immediately, it's the brain that's going to be responding versus their body giving them the truth.
0: Fascinating. Yeah, I've, d- I've heard of human design, but I'm not Extremely familiar with it. So. It's a
1: rabbit hole. Be careful. Be careful <laughs> to all the listeners. Be careful. It's a very deep, dark rabbit hole that you could maybe not come out of. But I mean, for the work that we do, we just use the type, the strategy, and the authority for the top line. If we're working with people a little bit deeper, then we'll look at defined and undefined centers and other other things too. But when we're just doing the top line, in order to get a result, you just need those three pieces of information. You don't need to get lost in the rabbit hole of human design. <laughs>
0: I don't know if you're the same way. I enjoy rabbit holes. They're not always the best use of my time, but I hyper focusing is like very (laughs) satisfying for me. Like if I can just sit down and obsess over something for hours, it like scratches some itch in my brain.
1: Yeah, I mean, I've lost some nights. (laughs) I've lost some nights to to research before. Oh, it's five o'clock in the morning. Where did the time go? I don't care because I am happy. Like I, <laughs> it's happened a couple of times. It's happened a
0: couple of times for sure. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And I'm curious too, when you use the term Asperger's for yourself, from my understanding, that's no longer a term used professionally. Is that true? And why or why not do you use that word versus just autism or ASD? It's
1: like they change their minds every five seconds. There's always a new phrase or a new word or something new politically correct have fun guys. I learned Asperger's. I'm going to use that until somebody's being offended by it. I actually care about. So,
0: Yeah, that makes sense. And maybe it's different in the UK. Do they, how do they treat? I know you're based from in a UK. few different areas, but
1: yeah, I'm from the UK. But
0: given that you spend so much time internationally, which is something else mm-hmm. I want to touch upon, if you're interested in this is just how the medical systems are so different. So did you get diagnosed mm-hmm. in the UK and have yeah, you spent in time in the US and saw like different treatments or different philosophies on neurodivergence. I mean there's a lot of
1: ideas, some call them conspiracies about the way that things work with the medical field in the US or whatever, but it's big business, right? And so I watched something the other day that said that big pharma was the construct of John D Rockefeller or whatever. I don't know about all of that, but I do know that America as a general principle is more of a profit-driven. I'm which isn't necessarily bad, but when it's profit at the expense of humans and their life, and we have seen that happen a little bit in the US, a little bit, he says, because he doesn't want to get sued. But yeah, I just think that there's more of a propensity to what can we give you drugs for in the US? Take a pill than other parts of the world that I spend time in.
0: Yeah, it's really fascinating. And it feels complicated as an American to try to get to the root of this because there's also a lot of things that are hard to do because they're so expensive. Like the access to good quality medical care is generally dependent on how much money you can spend or what insurance you have. And there's all of these factors. Is that something in the UK? It doesn't sound like it is.
1: We have the National Health Service. I mean, for the most part of my adult life, I've invested in private healthcare. That's just something that I've made the choice to do personally, as long as I could afford to do so. But the ordinary person can get all of the help that they need through the National Health Service in the UK. So the taxes and national insurance contribution do go to taking care of that. So yeah, it's not something that you end up finding like, oh, you need a heart transplant? Sorry, bro, you haven't got the right insurance. I guess you're dying now. That doesn't really happen in the UK. Are there waiting lists? Yes, of course, there are waiting lists. Does it mean that you're not going to get the same as somebody who's paying for a private hospital or whatever? Of course, you're not going to get the same, but you can still, you're not going to get left in the street to like, die because you don't have health insurance.
0: Yeah, it's interesting because in the States, it feels very confusing at times, and it's frustrating to hear about the way things operate in other countries. And speaking of other countries, it sounds like you travel a lot. You're going to... Well, I don't want to give away where you're going without your i <laughs> <going> away. So. <laughs> where are you now? Where are you going to next?
1: By the time this comes out, I'll have finished traveling. I'm heading out to the Middle East. I've got some business out there. So head out to the Middle East via Europe. It's quite a long trip from here. So I hang out with some friends in Spain first, then I'm going to head out to the Middle East for a little bit. And then I'm co-facilitating a retreat in Santorini, Greece. So I'm going to be going to do that. Then I head back to Mexico to spend some time with my boy.
0: That is so neat. What is it like for you to travel around a lot? What's your experience, especially with your work, but also on a personal level, given communication styles, do you notice different types of treatment and different Countries? Do you find yourself drawn to certain cultures and areas of the world that feel more in alignment with yourself?
1: Yeah, I mean, the places that I go to, I tend to go to places that I enjoy being in. I don't tend to go to places that I don't like (laughs) going to. It's like, well, I guess that's going to be a virtual event. Yeah. So, I mean, the whole thing for me is like, if you're designing the life that you love, then love it. Like, if you're making your own job, why are you going to make a job that you don't like? And so, the places that I go to are places that I enjoy going back to. I tend to have you know, social networks there. I tend to get along with the local culture or at least be able to create my own subculture within it that doesn't impede on my quality of life. I do my best to respect the local culture and language as much as possible. So I'm based primarily in, in Mexico, so I do my Duolingo every day and I speak as much Spanish as I can or whatever. I don't go around like, oh, I'm English. So You're going to speak English and all. Do you know what I mean? I don't really... I don't really do that, but that's how I roll my international travel.
0: <laughs> I love Duolingo and I just started studying Spanish on there a few months ago and nice. I agree. I mean, it feels so simultaneously empowering, but respectful when you can study and understand culture and language and just try to meet people where they're at. And I'm curious, why did you pick Greece for a retreat and what is this retreat comprised of
1: well thankfully i didn't pick it someone else is running the retreat and asked me to come and hang out and bring some abundant stuff to the thing we've done some virtual stuff before she and i are really good friends i was just actually in italy with her and her husband not too long ago so she's like yeah i'm doing the thing in greece you want to come and play with it i'm like yeah cool let's do the thing so i'm going to come and do the thing as well but i'm going to be sort of bringing my work around the alchemy of abundance to the event and it's going to be a smaller event with about 15 or 16 people i think we've got registered so yeah we're going to go and hang out and dive in
0: Well, I would love a little taste of what you're going to teach there because when you're talking about all this travel, I think a lot of people feel that finances or abundance is a barrier to travel. So what is it that you're teaching? But perhaps in addition or before you get to that, maybe you can share, how did you get to a place in your life right now where you're financially able to do so much travel or you set that structure up for yourself to make that happen so frequently?
1: Well, I'm really blessed. My personal development business is a multi-seven-figure business. It's a very successful business, which I'm really grateful for. We get to touch a lot of lives. And and I've got other entrepreneurial stuff that I get up to, real estate and stuff like that. And so financially, I don't really have to worry about anything. And that also puts me in a very different position when doing something like personal development, where your your people are coming to you with their, their issues and coming to you with their life, and that I never have to sell anything to anyone. I genuinely you don't want to buy anything okay cool like do you want some free stuff <laughs> there you go it's like not buy my stuff buy my stuff ah! <laughs> it's like cause i don't really care if you buy it or not it's like my life's not going to change yours l- won't change either but my life's not going to change if you don't buy my stuff and so i think it just puts me in a very different position in terms of making offers and being in value-based positions with people like this thing in greece like sure i'm gonna make some money on it but maybe it's gonna cover my flight <laughs> to get there but i want to go and do the thing i've never been to greece before i get to go and play with cool people and share my work. So I'm going to go and do the thing. And, and that's what I'm going to do.
0: Well, I have to say that Greece out of the places I've been is just someplace I can't wait to go back to because it has a feeling to it that I haven't felt in many places that I've traveled. And that's just an amazing place to do a workshop like that. So going back to it, tell me more about what is this workshop? What are you teaching? Do you get there? as a teacher and just kind of feel where people are at? Do you have something in mind for what you're going to be covering or what is it typically like?
1: If I'm running the workshop, it's very different, but because I'm sort of just sort of running, I'm kind of like coming in and being slotted in where I'm needed over the course of this event. So it's a bit different. So I'm going to be kind of following the lead of what what Haley wants for her attendees and sort of just supporting with that. But ultimately it's going to come down to, speaking about my Beyond Intention Paradigm, speaking about my flow funnel, speaking about my alchemic process, maybe some money DNA, but ultimately just how can people be in a conscious relationship with what they're creating in their life? That's generally what it's about. And how to do that from a place of flow, how to do it from a place of fun, how to do it with deep purpose and meaning. That's what I'm going to be getting into, but it's really going to come down to heidi has got her program that she's, that she's delivering. And then I'm going to be sort of slotting in my bits alongside that.
0: Before I get into the rest of this episode, I want to take a moment to acknowledge my brand partner, Athletic Greens, which has a product called AG1. I started taking this right before I did some international traveling because I wanted to take extra good care of my gut health and immune system, and it was awesome. I have trouble remembering to take a bunch of supplements, and especially when I'm going somewhere, I don't want to like bring all these... (laughs) capsules with me. So I really appreciated having this all in one powder and they actually have it in individual packet sizes. It was perfect. I drank it every morning at the hotel. When I was traveling on the airplane, I had it. If I was on the way somewhere, like in a car, I took it with me and it was just super easy to put into my water And it just gave me peace of mind knowing that it was supporting my digestion, my sleep quality, mental clarity, my recovery from all the travel and the exercise that I was doing. It tastes really good too. It only has one gram of sugar and yet tastes like a delicious tropical juice at a much cheaper price. It's less than $3 a day. And that's exciting because there's a little perk for you. Athletic Greens is going to give you five free travel pack sizes, plus a free year one supply of their immune-supporting vitamin D, which I take as well. I'll tell you about another time. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com WellEvator. Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash WellEvator. And you can take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance just like me. If you are, have any trouble, the link is in the description of the episode. It's also in the show notes at welllevator.com. That's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R. Check it out and let me know what you think. When you're teaching a abundance workshop, what is a common challenge or block or obstacle? And what is it like for people after they go through a workshop like this? Like kind of the before and after, like where they're at and where you can take them to through this knowledge? How do you see them transform?
1: Well, it really comes down to, in my experience, what they have gone into it for. And I think the imperative nature of intentionality, I think gets lost on some people. I think often people just don't get how big a role your goal, your intention plays in what you're actually going to, to get as a result. If I go into something, oh, I'd like to be more abundant. Okay, do you even know what abundance means to you? then how can you expect there to be a cognitive connection between an outcome and what you're going to be receiving in the workshop or the program or the course or whatever? And so I find one of the first things people have is they have a lack of direction. And I don't mean like, oh, I'd like to go generally this direction. I mean, where is it that you want to go? What is it that you want to do? What do you want to get as a result? If you don't have those points, then I find people struggle to get something definitive from it. That's when it's like, well, the program didn't really deliver much to, for me. I'm not sure I got anything out of it. Well, what did you come into it to get? And then how can you have a conscious relationship to what you're pulling from the content in order to meet that objective, to meet that outcome? You can't. So obviously you're not going to get anything from it. And so when it comes to like me doing stuff with people in my actual time and energy is going to be involved, like you can't go on my website and book to coach with me. It's not possible. You can't do it. Me, in terms of my one-on-one time, that doesn't happen unless you're in our community and you've demonstrated that you're ready and clear on what you want. I mean, people pay 25,000 to spend a weekend working with me, Right. You can't even make that application without clarity in what you want and without someone from my team validating that that's really what you want. I'm not going to take your money unless we know what we're working on. And I think that's one of the most undervalued blocks that people experience on the road to any goal.
0: And by that, you mean clarity is one of the most undervalued. And I would agree because it seems like a lot of people struggle with clarity. So how does somebody get to more clarity? Is like, For example, with you. It sounds like there's a community that they can be part of and through that they're developing more clarity and then they get to a place where they know what they want and then that's when you can help them. Is that
1: right? Mm -hmm. That's about the right. Yeah. I mean, we've got different models that we've take people through. We've got something called the ideal life blueprint that we take people through where they can come to a long-term workshop or they can grab some content from us and they can sit down and calculate what is it that they want. And unless you've got that again, there's going to be a glass ceiling on on what what you can come and do. Because I don't think it's right that people take people's money without even knowing how they're going to be able to help them or if they're even the person to help them. Because sometimes people have the clarity and that clarity actually leads me to understand I'm not your person. My content isn't your content. My team are not your team. But here's what you're going to be looking for with the person. Or here's a a suggestion for someone for you to talk to who may be your person.
0: That's so refreshing to hear because I just have felt so fed up with the amount of people online who just feel like they can help anybody and everybody is a fit for them. And their way is going to get everybody the same results. This cookie cutter mentality, I think is incredibly damaging. And it's so disappointing that that has become such a big part of personal development, because I think it actually gets people farther away from clarity. Would you agree?
1: A hundred percent. And again, Business is business and there's a business aspect to it, but business can be done from a place of integrity, right? If I was a mechanic, I wouldn't run around taking people's money, fixing a car that's not broken or fixing a car that I don't have the means to fix. Like I don't know how to fix this car. And yet we're not understanding that people are actually infinitely more unique than cars, right? And infinitely more delicate in their composition. And so people running around just banging on pipes, hoping that that's going to work is, I believe, causing a lot of damage And, and it's sad, but... It is a business at the end of the day, but it can be a business that's running integrity.
0: Absolutely. And speaking of integrity and pathways to figure out what's best for you, you have your podcast and I would love to hear more about this community. What exactly is that like? How is that set up? If somebody wants to join after listening to this conversation, can anybody just join it or is there another way to run over to
1: run over to facebook and join the dream with dan facebook group i do a live masterclass there most tuesdays sometimes i just don't have the space for it but at least three out of four tuesdays you'll see me on there doing a little masterclass. and we've got prompts for people to build conversation and build connection around the concept of abundance and you have guests come in there and drop some stuff and what have you you can listen we kind of cross over things like my podcast we'll discuss things there where we're doing stuff like challenges and whatnot run those through the group as well. And really, it's just about empowering people to live a more abundant, joyful, purpose-driven life and giving them the resources to do that, giving them the inspiration, the motivation, the how-tos, and again, a community of people who are on the same road as well.
0: That's fantastic. And community is incredibly powerful. And I would imagine that it's not just the power of, of your knowledge and wisdom and structure, but usually in those type of communities, you're meeting just incredible people who you can connect with, align with, learn from, and feel accountable to. So is that only on Facebook? Is that the main platform for the community?
1: With my paid programs, we've got an app, for example, for Micro to Millions as an app for the community to connect on the app. We did play with Mighty Networks and we're building a community for the fun, the work that we do around financial freedom on Mighty Networks as an app, which doesn't require Facebook. But in terms of, again, keeping it real, in terms of me giving free stuff, it's like, there's a free platform for free stuff. <laughs> like it's just like at some point maybe we'll build something a bit more comprehensive. But at the moment for that freeness, especially people that don't know me, having something they can just with very little stress just log in and go and check and connect with is what we've got available.
0: Yeah, there's so much <laughs> it's like amazing, all these different platforms and all of that can just become so overwhelming, just keeping it as simple as possible. i I'm, I'm right there with you. And It sounds like you're working on so much, and to respect your time and the boundaries around that, we're going to start to wrap up the conversation. This forty five minutes together flew by, Daniel. Because it's only forty five minutes. What? (laughs) Look
1: at that! Right, forty five. It feels like we've been there like fifteen minutes, like maybe twenty minutes.
0: I I honestly do not know how we got to the end so quickly, (laughs) but I actually really enjoy that, especially with other podcasters, because that just is a perfect opportunity for me and for the listener to go listen to your podcast where they can immediately get more of you. So it, it's probably better to end quickly than to, for it to be like, <laughs> what is this? It's over? a tease.
1: It's a tease. <laughs> I think it's Nino is quote is as saying, it's better for people to say, where have you been than why have you come again?
0: Whoa. I don't think I've ever heard that, but that yeah. is so good. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 I love that. that. Well, wide. Speaking of great quotes, I have all the show notes for this episode for anyone who wants to go back and reread anything that Daniel shared today. That's over at WellEvator.com spelled W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R. I will link to the Facebook community, his podcast, so you can get started on this path of clarity. And Daniel, I'm curious for your podcast. Do you have a favorite episode off the top of your head or a topic? Is there some like if someone's just wants to quickly go somewhere and start listening? What's one that comes to mind for you, if any? Or should they just start mm. at the beginning and binge it all?
1: Obviously binge, but check out some of the Q&A episodes, especially like year one, because I've been running the podcast. since 2018. My podcast is an old podcast. Some of the earlier Q&A episodes, I used to hang out with my friend M, M Hollis. What up, M? And... Yes, she'd go and find questions for me online and she'd ask them of me randomly. So I'm answering these questions off the dome for an hour. But yeah, there's a few of those. We've got about 14 or 15 of those episodes. It's, I think it's fascinating to hear how I respond to stuff. But hey, I'm a conceited twat, apparently.
0: <laughs> I also love the term off the dome. That's so good. We don't use that much in the States. So I feel mm-hmm. like I want to start using that more often.
1: It. Use it, <laughs>
0: Well, Daniel, I'm very sadly going to wrap this up so that I can let you go on to the next part of your day and enjoy your time in Mexico with your family and everything else that's coming forward for you as the day comes to an end. Thank you so much for being here and thank you for being so raw and authentic and just yourself. As I mentioned, it's been incredibly refreshing and the flow that I've experienced with you has been truly delightful. I wish every episode of the show I recorded went by this fast not that, that probably sounds bad, but you know, there are times where I'm I know like, I okay, know what you mean down and it's got an hour and I just don't have the patience, but this like, I just
1: cut them at 20 minutes. Sorry. Yeah. I guess we're done yeah. here. Bye.
0: I can't, <laughs> I can't stop talking. That's my problem. <laughs> I could just go on and on and on once my, discussions start. It's it's hard mm-hmm. to wrap up unless they're dreadfully boring. But thank mm-hmm. you for making this just lovely. And I will, as I mentioned, link to it all for the listener who wants more from Daniel as I do at WellEvator.com. And we'll wrap up here. Bye for now.